One of the best parts of the Christmas season is traditions. Families all around the world will celebrate with traditions that they've carried on for generations. They could be fun, silly, sometimes they're serious, but ultimately we have traditions to mark the season, to remember the moment that Jesus was born on the earth and he changed our lives forever. Welcome to the New Community Church Podcast. This is our second week of our Christmas series and it's all about family. This week, we're talking about family traditions. How can we use those traditions that we do each year to point people to Jesus? Here's Pastor Aaron. Well, good morning, church. How's everyone doing this morning? Good? It's good to see each of you here. And once again, if you're our guest, I know we mentioned this a moment ago, but if this is your first time at NCC, or if you're watching this later this week for the first time, we just want to welcome you and let you know we are so glad that you're worshiping with us. And if I haven't had a chance to personally meet you yet, my name is Aaron, and I'm the lead pastor here at New Community Church. And we're glad that you're joining us. This is our second week um, of this series called Christmas at NCC. And this year, we're looking at this idea of family. And so we started last week um, with, hey, God has placed us in the family that we're in on purpose. And for some of us, we may love the family that we're in. For others, it may be a little bit more difficult, um, some of our family members. But we're called to inspire and to encourage and to challenge one another. And so we talked about that last week, looking at that idea. This week, we want to look at this idea that um, God has called us to do things in our family. And we're looking at family traditions and the traditions that we have, mainly around the holiday season and what that looks like for each of us. And so a few moments ago in service, we had Christmas around the world. I shared some of the traditions that were fun and really intriguing. And as I was researching this, I came across some other traditions that were a little bit more unique. I want to start us off just by sharing some of those. Now, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how particular I am about food. I don't know about you, but when I think about the holiday meal, I think about some ham, some good mashed potatoes. We love green bean casserole at our house. But in this particular country, when you wake up and you think about the Christmas meal, what you're looking for are fried caterpillars. Yep, a little bit unique, okay, um, for maybe what we've experienced. I didn't know this, but the goal is to make the plate look festive. And so you're looking for different colored caterpillars. I didn't know there were different colored caterpillars, okay? But that's part of this culture's kind of unique thing is it's a delicacy. And so when they wake up, that's kind of what they're looking for. They, they want that to be part of their Christmas meal. In a different country on the other side of the world, you would wait um, about an hour to an hour and a half um, every Christmas morning, every, once a year, um, in KFC's drive through line. And you pre-order because almost this entire country, they said the vast majority, on Christmas Day, they want a Kentucky Fried Chicken Bucket, okay? Now, I know we eat that as fast food, but for whatever reason, in this country, um, that's what they want as part of their Christmas meal. Another country that I came across, um, as the kids go to bed on Christmas Eve, the parents will hide a dill pickle in the tree. Has anyone heard about this? You hide a dill pickle in the tree, and then when the kids wake up in the morning, they don't rush to the presents, they rush to the tree, and the first person to find the dill pickle gets an extra present that day, okay? So you get a little extra reward. I don't know if you're supposed to eat the pickle too or what happens to that, but, but you do get an extra wrapped gift, and so that's part of their celebration. One more, um, I found out in this country, kids work the couple of weeks leading up to Christmas, and they decorate a hollowed-out log. 
Okay, maybe you guys have heard this. They put a face on it. Sometimes they put hands and feet on it. And then there's an opening at the bottom of the log. And the parents stuff it with goodies, candies, little toys, little trinkets. And the kids will hit the stick. Um, They'll hit the log with the stick. And they'll actually tell the log to poop. Poop, log, poop. And it poops out all of the candies and the goodies. They fall to the ground. And that's what the kids get. I don't know if you want to eat the candy after it's been pooped out by a log. But that's kind of their celebration and their tradition. And as I'm reading through all of these, I think, man, there are a lot of unique things. Um, Some of them, I don't know if I'd want to celebrate that way. But for other cultures and other parts of the world, there are ways that, that we come together and we enjoy being with family. And this idea of all of these things we do around the holidays, they didn't originate with us. There's actually this encouragement, this command from God in the Bible that we learn to celebrate. And that as we approach different festivities, um, times of a celebration with family, that we would look for ways to remember. We would look for traditions that have meaning and that are impactful um, for our families. And so I want us to look at one of the stories where God tells his people to do this. If you have your Bibles, turn this morning to Joshua chapter 4. And we're going to start reading at verse 1. We'll read through verse 7. And if you didn't bring a Bible with you, there's a blue Bible in the seat in front of you, maybe one or two seats over. And you can turn to page 103 or take out your smartphone and um, just Google Joshua chapter 4. You'll get there. And once you have that, hold on to that for just a moment. I want to let you know what's going on in this part of the Bible in case you've not read this part of Scripture before. In Joshua chapter 4, God has brought his people out of Egypt Um, So they were in slavery for 400 years. He's delivered them through many signs and wonders, through miraculous things. He's brought them out of Egypt, and he's taking them into the promised land. He's told them, there's a land that I'm going to give you. You're no longer going to have to work for others. You're going to have your own inheritance, your own property, your own land. This is what I'm giving you. But as the people of God coming out of slavery approach that, they get nervous. And they start looking around and they're like these giant cities with big gates and big walls, these massive armies. And we've just been slaves for 400 years. Like that's all we've known as a people. And there is no way, God, that we can actually go and take over this land. And because of their unbelief, a trip that should have taken probably a few months ended up taking 40 years. And they're walking around the desert for 40 years. Until that generation dies and is buried, a new generation rises up. And as they now, God is taking them into the promised land, they're believing, God, you can do what you've said you're going to do. But the biggest obstacle is the Jordan River. There's this massive river separating them from the first city God's calling them to go and to take over. And they're like, God, we don't know how we're going to get there. How do we get all of these people across this river into the land that you've told us to? And the thing was, is the Jordan River was flooded at that moment. And God tells his people, hey, ask the priests, the spiritual leaders, to take the Ark of the Covenant. So this was a symbol of God's presence. Carry it on their shoulders. And as soon as their feet hit the water, I'm going to show you my wonders. And sure enough, as soon as they step into the river, the water stops flowing. The Jordan is stopped up. And the people walk across on dry land. And this is where we pick up the story in Joshua chapter 4. Verse 1, this is what it says. Now, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Take 12 men from the people, each from a tribe, a man, and command them, saying, Take 12 stones from here out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priests 
feet stood firmly and bring them over with you and lay them down in the place where you lodge tonight. Then Joshua called the 12 men from the people of Israel, whom he had appointed, a man from each tribe. And he said, pass on before the ark of the Lord in the midst of the Jordan and take up each of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the people of Israel. So I'm trying to picture this in my mind of what God is telling them to to do, why God is telling them to do this. And in case you're imagining just kind of like a bubbling brook and you're like, well, how hard is it for people to walk over? That's not what the Jordan River was. Um, At low times, so when the water level was a little bit lower, the Jordan River was probably three feet deep. So maybe not that hard to get through. But when it was flooded, it was usually over 10 feet deep. Now, I went and looked at this because I see on the news, like maybe some of you guys do, you'll see those flood shots, right? Like under an overpass or something, and the cars are stuck there, and I'm thinking, why don't you just drive through? But as I started to look at this, um, whenever a river is flooded, whenever that current's going strong, it only takes about six inches to take down the average size person. That means the water only has to be about this deep, and it can sweep your feet away, and you're being carried off down the river. That's not very much. It only takes about one to two feet to move a mid-sized car down the river or like off of the road. That's all it takes. When the water is flowing, only about one to two feet and a mid-sized car can be swept away. So can you imagine 10 feet of water that's swirling like this strong current that's going and they're standing there thinking, man, I don't know how we're going to get to the other side. It made me think of about 10 years ago, um, I was the pastor of a young adult ministry, and every year we'd go on an adventure. And this particular year, we took about 15 young adults to hike the Appalachian Trail. We were going to do about four or five days of the Appalachian Trail. We were starting in North Georgia and making our way into the Carolinas. And so we had this whole kind of trail lined out. And as we got there, the rangers told us, hey, you need to be careful because some of the trail is flooded. And sure enough, we get a day and a half in, and I've got 15 young adults that I'm responsible for, and I'm looking, and I'm thinking, I don't know how we're going to make it across this river. And it wasn't that deep. It was just a few inches deep. And so we start to go, and this one guy gets this idea. He's like, I'm going to take off my hiking shoes because I don't want them to get them wet. And so he puts them on his backpack, takes that first step out, and just wham, just goes. And his shoes end up flying down the river. It takes three guys about 20 minutes to run down the banks of the river and catch up with them. And then we take this rope across and we're going. And I remember that feeling of panic, of just imagining the headlines, young adult pastor loses three people, you know, to a raging current or something like that, that these were going to die. And just that stress of what that would have been like. And Joshua isn't looking back at 15. He's looking at over 600, 600,000 and thinking, how do I get these small kids across this river? How do I get these adults, you know, people that were older? How am I going to make sure that everyone makes it across safely? God, I trust that you can defeat the army. I don't even know how we're going to get to the battle though. Like, I don't even know how we're going to arrive on the scene, Lord. I don't know what to do. And God shows up. And after God does something miraculous, this is what he tells them to do. He said, hey, I want you to take 12 large stones. Okay. These are not pillows. These are stones. Okay. And he said, I want you to get these guys and they're going to carry them on their shoulder and through the river and wherever you lodge tonight, you're going to take these stones and you're going to place them as a monument. You're going to place them as a symbol. I I want you guys to remember what it is that I've done in bringing you into the land that I promised you. 
Now, I didn't make 12 of them because I didn't know if I could stack them that high, but they're stacked up there, and that's what God is saying. You're going to take these from the midst of the Jordan River, what I brought you through, and you're going to place them as a symbol. And you guys, that's what traditions are meant to do. Traditions are meant to point us to the power of God. This monument, this symbol, this marker, if you will, on this day and in their life, it was meant to remind them of the power of God, what God had done in bringing them through the Jordan River. And that's what the traditions in our life are supposed to do. They're supposed to point to that moment when God showed up. When we didn't know which way to go or we didn't know the path or we didn't know what it was going to be like. And so that whenever we see them, whenever we come back to this date, whenever we view these things, we remember, oh yeah, God, that's what you did in that moment. That's how you showed up, God. That's what you caused to happen in that moment. Traditions point us to the power of God. We need those kinds of traditions in our life. Now, I've shared um, in past years, um, as I've been the pastor, some of our traditions as the Escamilla family. One of them are what we call Christmas boxes. So we started this a number of years ago, and it was really around this idea, God, we want some traditions in our life that remind us of your goodness and who you are. And so about 20 years ago, we started these boxes. You guys can see this. Some of you guys know Josiah. He's our Marine. This was his first Christmas sock, okay? So we put this in here. Um, we started with socks, and then we quickly outgrew them. But every year we add something to the box, and it's a reminder Every year we pull out all of these and we read notes of prayers that we've prayed over our lives, prayers that we've prayed over family members, different things that we've done, ways that God has come through. I remember one year my brother called and we take turns as family members saying, hey, this year this is what we're going to add to the Christmas box. And it was my brother's turn. He said, I want you to find something that symbolizes what God's done in your life this year. And at this point, I think we were getting ready to have Jaron, like he wasn't born yet. We had just found out that we were going to have um, another kid, and I was getting stressed out, right? Um, I was stressed out at four. I don't know how I got to eight, but, <laughs> but that's where we were at. And so I was kind of stressed, and I was worried, and I was sitting in my office one day, and this guy from our church that, that worked with us, I was a youth pastor at the time, he called me up, and he said, Aaron, man, I was praying this morning. God told me to buy you a car. And I'm freaking out. I'm like, oh, man, I can't. I can't believe that. Like, I think we just had one vehicle at the time, and it was a smaller mid-sized sedan. And so I thought, man, this is awesome, like an extra vehicle. And so Sarah drives me um, to the place where we were going to pick up the car in. And so I pull up. He didn't buy us a Volkswagen bus, okay? But this <laughs> kind of symbolizes in my mind what he got us. Um, and I pull up, and he walks us around the corner. He's like, I hope you don't mind, but I picked it out. And it was a brand-new Chevy Suburban. And you guys, I'm freaking out because there's no way I could probably ever in my life afford a car like that. And it's fully loaded, leather seats, like DVD player, executive, like all of this kinds of stuff. And he said, all you have to do is sign on the title. That's it. It's already been paid for. The bill's been taken care of. You guys can drive off. And I'm sitting in that dealership. I remember it. I think it was in Pekin, Illinois. And I'm just bawling because it really wasn't about a vehicle. It was that moment where God said, Aaron, I'm going to take care of you. And you may get worried sometimes. You may get stressed out. Like you may not know where to turn. I'm telling you, I'm already ahead of you. I've got your future planned out. I know what I'm doing. And so every year when I open up my Christmas box and, and I pull out that car, I look at that and I say, God, man, in the past, you've come through. Like I didn't even know how I was going to get some of the places where I've been, God. And you show up time and time again. 
you provide for me. That same year, I remember um, Josiah put this in his Christmas box. It's a snake. And that year, I think it was in the fall, man, this just tore up my heart as a parent. Josiah would wake up every night. He was a lot younger back then, and he'd wake up every night screaming. And we'd rush into his room, and he'd say, Mom and Dad, I had another nightmare. I don't think I can go back to sleep. And so we just began to pray as parents. Like we were praying, we anointed him with oil. Like the Bible says, we were quoting scriptures. I will keep in perfect peace. He whose mind is steadfast upon me. God, you make your beloved sleep in peace. We would quote these every night. We'd pray for him. Josiah, we're believing that God's gonna, you know, take away these nightmares. And I remember that first morning when Josiah woke up. This had been weeks and months. And he said, dad, no nightmares tonight. And then day after day, no nightmares, dad, no nightmares. And so that year, this is what he chose to put in his Christmas box. Because he said, the thing that used to scare me doesn't scare me anymore. God has brought freedom and peace inside of my life. And man, it's that. It's traditions that point to the power of God. That remind us that God shows up at moments in our life when, when we didn't know or we didn't understand what to do. We need those kinds of traditions that remind us, God, you are faithful that point to the power of God in our life. And church, I'm telling you, if we're not careful, we rush past moments like that. And we forget to look back. We forget to pause and remember, wait, God, that's what you did. Lord, you did something amazing there. And I didn't even know how I was going to get there, God. I didn't know how I was going to get through that situation, Lord. I didn't know how I was going to make it. And yet, God, you showed up in an amazing way. You showed up, God, that you're powerful and that you lead the way in our lives. That's what traditions are supposed to be. But not only do traditions point to the power of God, traditions also, they help us to remember from generation to generation. Traditions help us to remember from generation to generation. If you still have your Bibles open, that same chapter there, Joshua chapter 4, starting at verse 6, this is what he goes on to say. Those stones that you set up, this is to be a sign among you. And so when your children ask in times to come, hey, mom and dad, what do those stones mean to you? Then you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. And when, it, and when it passed over the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. Traditions are meant to help us remember from generation to generation. Oh, there's a reason those are there. So that's why God had those 12 guys kind of set that up. And so you're talking 100, 200 years later, and they're walking to Jericho. They're walking to Jerusalem. They're going to grandma's house for Christmas. And they're like, hey, mom and dad, what do those mean? Oh, yeah, let me tell you that story. We didn't even know how we were going to get into this place that we're in. We didn't know how we were going to even enter into the promised land. And God showed up in a powerful way when we couldn't do it on our own. See, it's meant to remind us of the goodness of God, but not just for us, not just because you've experienced the power of God, not just because you've experienced God in your life. You need traditions that are going to help you hand them down from generation to generation so others that are coming after you, they can know the story. They can know the goodness of God. And so that's why God said, hey, I'm going to set that up and I'm going to establish it. You need this monument. You need this marker in your life to remember my goodness, to remember what I've done. And so, once again, I just use our family as an illustration. I remember right at that same time, about 20 years ago, 
We wanted traditions that we could pass on. And so when you're at the Escamilla household and you wake up Christmas morning, we don't run to presents and that's just not part of our tradition. But there is something that we do. do. We give everyone a penny and an orange. I know as a kid, that's got to be depressing, okay? So, so let me explain this real quick, okay? Um, this is Josiah's. I pulled it out of his Christmas box. Um, he's turning 20, or he's just turned 20, and so he has um, 20 pennies in here. And um, this is what he's done. And then this orange, we don't keep these for 20 years, okay? You eat this. And here's, here's what this helped remind us. We got into this rut of just kind of doing Christmas how everyone do, does it and kind of just rushing through the holidays. And we needed this reminder that God is what we're really seeking after. That it's not just material things that will quickly fade away or a sweatshirt that won't fit in a few years or toys that will break. God, there's something more that we're seeking after. And so the penny is a reminder of that. You're not gonna get rich even if you live to 100, okay? Um, But it's that goal of God, this is what you've done. You take care of us, God, and you're the one we're seeking after, which is also why we do the orange. God, you're the thing that satisfies us. And so as we eat this, we remember this. God, this is your goodness. And Lord, you're the one that we're seeking after. Once again, you're the one that fulfills us. God, you're the one that sustains us. And there's very few years that my dad, my kids call him Poppy, will not gather all the grandkids around and we'll give these out And with tears coming down his face, he'll remind them, hey, it wasn't too long ago that the Escamillas were in a dark place. And my brother and I in high school had walked away from God. My parents had left the ministry. They weren't pastors and they were struggling in their walk with Christ. And somehow through the grace and the love of God, he restored us. And I remember that that first Christmas 20 years ago, it wasn't too long after we had been in that dark place where we sat there remembering, God, you've done something amazing. And we said that we don't want to just experience this. We want a tradition that we can pass on from generation to generation. My hope is that in 100 years, there would be some Escamillas sitting around a Christmas tree remembering, man, I didn't know if our family was going to make it. The story is we didn't know how our story was going to turn out. And yet God showed up in a way and he rescued us and he redeemed us. There's this verse every time that I'm taking out these pennies and I'm eating my orange that I think of. It's in Numbers chapter 18, verse 20. And it's when God is giving out the promised land. And he says this, he's like, Reuben, you get this area land over here. Dan, you get this land here, all the 12 tribes. He's walking through and then he comes to the last tribe and he says, you don't get an inheritance. And this isn't because they were on Santa's naughty list. That's not what it was. He, He looks at them and he says, I, the Lord, your God, am your inheritance. I'm the promise. I'm the reward that you've been fighting for. And it's that reminder, you guys, when I get to heaven, I'm not looking for a big mansion on a hilltop. I'm not looking for a gold crown. What will make heaven heaven for me is that his presence is there. It's that God is there. And he's the one that I've been seeking after. 
and I'm looking for traditions and we're trying to create traditions in our household that we can hand down generation after generation after generation. Don't forget the goodness of the Lord. Don't forget those moments when he's all that we have. He's all that we need. He's all that we're looking for. That's why we come. That's why we remember. That's why we celebrate. That's why we put monuments and markers in our life because church, he is all that we need. And so when we stop and look at our traditions, what so many of us do, we've forgotten that some of them point to the power of God in our lives and that some of them are meant to be handed down from generation to generation. And so I just want to read this. I know you're familiar with this, but in Matthew chapter 2, starting at verse 10, this is the wise men. Some people believe that they were kings and they were coming to the place where Jesus was born. They had seen the star in the sky. And this is what it says in Matthew chapter 2, verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. And then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, I can remember growing up and hearing that story, and I didn't really understand it. Now, I knew what gold was because... At least I thought I had seen gold. Maybe it was fake gold, but I kind of had an idea of what gold was. But I had never been around frankincense. I don't know if you have. Um, I knew myrrh was some kind of perfume, but no one's spraying that on before a hot date on a Friday night, okay? We don't use that. But that's kind of what it was. But I didn't understand what it meant. But I remember early in my teenage years sitting in a service like this, and we sang a Christmas carol together. You may be familiar with it. It's called We Three Kings. And within the verses of this carol, I started to understand that these gifts, it wasn't just about being generous. It wasn't, hey, I kind of like you, so I want to get you something for Christmas. It wasn't re-gifting something that you found in the closet. Each of these had deep, significant meaning. And they were to symbolize what the person or who the person was that they were giving these gifts to. And so I wanted to create some space here this morning and we're going to take a moment, and the lyrics are going to be on the screen, but I want you to reflect on the words of this song. I want you to look at your own life and maybe the traditions that you have and begin to ask God, do they really point to you, Lord? Is it something that I can pass on from generation to generation? So let's take a moment, let's kind of silence our heart, and let's look at this and reflect on these gifts that were given around this first Christmas. And if you're familiar with the words of that song, you see that in there, that the goal that they were bringing was to say, hey, we may be kings, but you're the king of kings. You have the right to rule and reign over our life. You're just a little baby, but you're not just a baby. You are God. And that's what frankincense represented. It was an incense that was used in the temple to honor God. And they were saying, hey, we're recognizing you're not just a human, you're not just a little baby, but you are God wrapped in flesh. You are Emmanuel, God with us. Myrrh was this incense or, or this perfume that was used around burial. And they were saying, Jesus, we recognize that even at your birth, that you've come to redeem mankind. The sorrowing, the, the sorrow, the suffering that you will walk through, the cross that you will endure to redeem us. God, we recognize that right here in the moment at the start of your life, that that's who you are. You're the Savior. You're the Messiah. 
See, this tradition that we have of giving gifts, it started as an act of worship, of just saying, God, I honor you. It wasn't just about generosity. It wasn't just about compassion. It was saying, God, we've come to worship you. And church, I just want to challenge you with that thought. There are so many traditions that we have that are so great that bring us together as family, but we also need those traditions that point to God and that remind us of those moments where God came through and God showed up when we didn't know which way to go. We need those moments and those traditions, those markers in our life, if you will, where we can hand them down from generation to generation and say, man, let me tell you that story when I was at that point in my life. Let me tell you what God did there. We need those kinds of traditions in our life. And I've shared a few of ours, but I'm sure there are so many that you can think of. It may be getting up on Christmas morning and before you kind of jump into whatever your day looks like of just pausing, pausing and saying, God, we wanna read the Christmas story, God, and we just wanna say thank you. Thank you for coming, Jesus. We know you didn't have to. When our family gets together, it's taking communion. It's that reminder of, God, what you've done. You've saved us. You've redeemed us, God. That's part of who we are as a family. It's what you've done in our life. Maybe your family will this Christmas season take a moment in the afternoon and just join together and take communion together and say, God, we remember what you did, Jesus, when you were born, your life, your death, your resurrection, God. We thank you for that. Church, I wanna challenge you to have traditions in your life that celebrate who God is, those moments that he's come through in your life. And so I'm gonna lead us in a prayer. And as I pray, maybe just take a moment and just reflect, God, yes, are there ways that the traditions in our family, God, are pointing to you? Are there ways that they can point to you, God, and show your goodness? Let's pray together this morning. Lord, I come before you. God, I'm thankful that you're a God that tells us to celebrate, Lord, to find ways to honor you, Lord, and to rejoice in your goodness. And God, I pray that we would be that kind of people, that kind of church, Lord, who we find moments, God, and we find traditions, Lord, to honor you, God, that point to your power, God, when you've come through in our life, Lord, that we would find traditions, Lord, that we can hand down generation to generation, God, to tell of when you've come through in our life, Lord. God, don't let us walk through this holiday just with kind of meaningless routines or meaningless rituals, God. Lord, let us stop and remember your goodness and your love. God, let us be those kinds of people. We pray this, Lord, in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Now, we don't want what we've learned to just stay here. It should affect the way that we live. So here's one way you can apply this to your life this week. Choose a new tradition to start with family or friends. Try to find something that will highlight or remind you of the purpose and the meaning of Christmas, something you can do each year. Here at NCC, we are all about making people and places new, and we want to know how we can help you grow in your faith. So connect with us online at newcommunity.co. We would love to hear from you.